It's time for today's Lucky Land horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, welcome to VAR at the Bar, episode 15. Uh, my name is Ant, I'm on hosting duty tonight. As always, I'm joined by the usual suspects. Hello, I'm Dan. And I'm Chris. How are we doing? Doing well, thank you. Yeah, not too bad at all. I've got a bit of an apology to make, though. <laughs> I, feel, right. I feel apologies in order. What are you doing? Uh, you started. Going, I know, going to episode three. And we did the top ten best ever footballers, and I, I didn't didn't put in Diego Maradona. <laughs> Chris, I wasn't out. even going to bring this up tonight. No. I was, was going to I was going to let you off the hook. <laughs> no, no, I, you you, te- you had me upon it, and also somebody else who listened to it has also had me upon this as well. So I wholeheartedly apologise for not putting him in my top ten. I reevaluated it, and he would go. Just about on nine point five. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but no, on a serious note, I would I would put him in definitely in my top five. After seeing some of the stuff, I had a bit of a another look on him over the past couple of days, and yeah, definitely. <laughs> I found I had to just you know draw, make the draw the slate, make it all clean, start fresh. He's in my top five. It takes a brave man to come out and admit when they're wrong. Yeah, that's very humble. So what about Troy Deeney, Ant? (laughs) (laughs) 
was I was going to say I'll give it another episode, a couple of episodes, and Chris will apologise for not putting Thierry Henry in last week. <laughs> <laughs> give me ten episodes. <laughs> I've, I've justified my Freudini, Dan. Let's just leave it at that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of Diego Maradona, obviously it'd be wrong not to talk about him tonight, and just very briefly. Um, I don't know if you saw it in in the news this week that Andre Villas Boas came out and said that all number 10 shirts should now be retired in honour of him. And uh, I just wanted to get your opinions on that. Can we go first, Dan? Or do you want me to go first? Yeah, I think, I think every every team to retire a number 10 is a little bit extreme. There, there's some other players from other clubs that have famously worn number 10 and created their own legacy within a club. So I think that's a bit extreme. But I certainly agree with the sentiment behind it. He, he deserves a lot of recognition for what he did yeah, yeah, I think I'd agree with that. I think the sentiment was there, but realistically, it's not, not viable. No, if I've got a shirt in my wardrobe with a number ten, I'm not going to bid it. <laughs> I wouldn't bid it; I'd frame it. Frame it. If I think a certain, um, if you look at things as well, a certain Argentinian striker, you might have heard him, who's a number ten for Barcelona and Argentina. Whenever he comes in, whenever he's not on retirement. Uh, Mr. Lionel Messi might have a few uh, things to say about retiring the 10 shirt. Yeah, but isn't he getting um, a new camp named after him? So I'm sure he won't complain <laughs> too much. I know that Maradona's getting Nap- the Napoli ground named after him, isn't he? Or they're in Fair the talks of it. Slight segue, but it reminded me that uh, I actually missed off my um, Good, the Bad, the Obscure last week that Dragon Stojkovic has got one of the stands that Grampus 8 named after him. <laughs> Really? Wow. Yeah, and a street. <laughs> <laughs> In Japan. What's Gary Lineker got named after him then? I don't know. One of the cups. Because <laughs> his ears resemble it. <laughs> Packet of crisps. That's it. Uh, yeah, rest in peace, Diego Maradona. Exactly. Yeah. Um, the other thing I wanted to quickly talk about, yeah, just off the cuff, um, was obviously Man United got their, I don't know, 100th penalty or something the other week. Um, do you think it's right that a goalkeeper is not allowed to leave their line in a penalty, whereas the penalty taker can run up and basically do whatever they like? On That's the an interesting the... one. Very interesting one. Oh, you've been watching Major League Football, haven't you? No, I've just you been watching my football today. <laughs> well, basically last week they had a playoff uh, semi semi final or whatever for the conference and um, Orlando versus someone else and um, their goalkeeper got a second booking for going off his line and got sent off in the penalty shootout because he did exactly that um, which I think is a bit OTT. However, they brought on the midfielder and the midfielder ended up saving the penalty kick and they got through. So <laughs> fair <Wow>. enough. <laughs> Fair enough. But, but it's a good question, Anna, actually. I, I think it's quite harsh, I'll be honest with you. I mean, I, um, obviously, I'm, I'm not a goalkeeper. I, I never have been. But the few times I'm sure we've all played in goal at some point in our careers, in inverted commas, it's natural <laughs> instinct to dive forward to save a penalty. It must be really hard to dive just left or right without moving off your line. And yet you've yeah. got someone like, I don't know, let's say Bruno Fernandes, for example, can run up and do a hop, skip, jump, backflip, put off the goalkeeper as much as they like and put it in the back of the net. 
Exactly. It does seem a little bit no, unfair I, to me. I think, I mean, uh, but was it Johnston that saved the penalty last week? It was, wasn't it? Sam yeah. Johnston for West Brom. I mean, it's a great save, to be honest. I mean, I don't think there's much as uh, much advantage for the goalkeeper to to move forward. I don't think it's as not as much advantageous for them as it is for the penalty taker to do all the fancy oh. stuff. I don't know, I might have to disagree with you on that because I remember when they brought this rule in, some of the stuff that was going on with keepers taking three or four steps forward off the line, it was getting ridiculous. There was a Champions League final where there were quite a few saves because of keepers advancing and getting so close to the penalty taker. Uh, I I think uh, the good point there on Fernandez, I don't think penalty takers should be allowed to stop the run-up. I think they need to be in continuous motion as they approach the ball. Yeah, I'm pretty sure they're not allowed to stop their run up, aren't they? Wasn't that the rule? Well, I, th- I thought so, but there's some very questionable penalty taking mm. techniques on that at the moment. Yeah. Might need to tweak the rule a little bit. But um, are goalkeepers allowed to stand behind the line? Then uh, yeah, I did think that the other day, actually. Yeah. Would, would that count? I think so. Yeah, maybe, maybe, maybe we'll see that come in a little bit. I mean, you could have a you could have a middle way though, and say you could do one step forward. Yeah. Or have one foot on the point. line or something would be yeah. probably fair. But. Because I, I could have sworn there's been a few penalties, like I think, last season where they pulled it back because the keeper moved sort of minimally, sort of half a step forward. Yeah. I think the rules are far wrong. I think I've just got to tweak it a little bit. Like yeah. every other rule in football at the moment. Yeah. Anyway, that's another debate. <laughs> that's all I had. Yeah. Um, <laughs> So this week we've got the um, top five celebrations. I'm quite happy just to talk about it as five each and not rank them. Yeah. Um, and I've got my good, the bad, the obscure. Dan's going to talk us through fantasy football. Yeah. And then I've got the British shock managerial appointments or surprise appointments, however you want to look at it. Uh, followed by some socials, followed by Warnock Watch. And then I have a quiz. Sounds good. Yeah. So let's Let's jump straight in at the celebrations. Chris, which one did you have first? Yeah, my first one uh, has to be, mate. You know which one it's going to be. Robbie Fowler, Merseyside (laughs) Derby, 1999. Had to be because I knew you were going to talk about it. You you know, I always rant on about it. Have you got four of the Liverpool ones there? It'll be three and then two in the 1980s. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so it's just going back to 1999, Medside Derby, which Liverpool won 3-2. Uh, Fowler actually equalised in that game and celebrated, um, pretending to snort the goal line in front, right in front of the Everton fans. That was after the tabloids... Um, had unconfirmed accusations uh, that he was a cocaine user. He was fined 60 grand for that, which would have been a hell of a lot of money in those days, even back then, and um, got a four-match ban for it. Um, to be honest, when I was younger, when I was young and I saw that, I found it quite amusing, <laughs> to say the least. But very probably nowadays, you would have probably have got sort of about a year's ban for that, wouldn't you? <laughs> I would <have> said. <laughs> Yeah, more than a slap um, on the wrist. Yeah. Uh, Gerard Houye then tried to provide an explanation saying it was a Cameroonian grass-eating celebration. 
learned from the teammate Rigobert song, <laughs> which is the best attempt of a lie I've ever heard. <laughs> You've got to give him credit. <laughs> yeah, he's tried to cool it down a little bit. Uh, didn't quite work. So yeah, that was my first one anyway. Uh, well, I'll, I'll I'll go next just to mix it up. So I've I've gone with uh, Cantona against Sunderland. Yeah. I'm sure you all remember the goal. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Deftly chipped Lionel Perez from the edge of the box. Uh, and then he just sort of like turned around and stood there with his chest puffed out and his shirt collar up, uh, looking very nonchalant. Um, and apparently his, his aim was to embarrass the goalkeeper because they played together at Nîmes in France earlier in their career. And before the game, they hadn't seen each other since. And Cantona said, before the game in the tunnel, I came to him to shake his hand and say hello because I hadn't seen him. He didn't want to shake my hand. So maybe I scored the goal because of that. That's the biggest humiliation for a goalkeeper. And it's this kind of, and, and this kind of celebration too. Because he's angry and you don't run anywhere. I just stand there. Look at me. And yeah. it's it's one of those iconic Premier League moments for me. It's just stuck in my head. Even even though I despise Cantona as a Liverpool fan. Yeah. I, I think he's well because he had his collar up as well. And just the way he was. It was just pure. Just and utter, pure, pure arrogance, pure. wasn't it? Absolutely. Yeah, very, very smug. Yeah. Uh, so, I don't like to show my Liverpool bias, so I thought I'd put Cantona in. Oh, well, <laughs> well, I like to show my Liverpool bias and put. Go on, Dan. What you got for us? Right, this one up is Roger Miller. Oh yeah. So the Cameroonian striker who uh, made a name for himself at the Italian '90 World Cup scored a couple of goals against Romania, a couple of goals against Colombia, and. His celebration for each of those goals was the same. He ran up to the corner flag and then wiggled his hips in a little dance. I've seen a 38 man in short shorts and a moustache doing that. It's quite a memorable sight. <laughs> yeah, those were the days. <laughs> Just also on my list, I, I um, like Anne did last week, I've uh, sort of self-imposed a little where I've gone for repeatability goal celebrations the ones that weren't a one-off but they were done over and over again that'll be a common theme through my list Go on, right, Chris. Yeah, my, yeah my next one I'm going with is Samuel Eto where he pretended to do the old man celebration that was back in March 2014 where Jose who was his manager at the time Jose Mourinho was caught on uh, camera suggesting Eto was 35 years old rather than 32. Um, so he, when he scored his goal, he was walked like a hunched old man to lean forward on the corner flag, feeling his back. It's quite hilarious seeing it as well. The guy's got a bit of tongue in cheek with uh, cheeky celebrations as well. Because I remember one in Barcelona as well, but we won't comment on that because that one was a bit naughty. Um, but um, but yeah that's put him on there because I thought it was just quite funny on how he got his own back on his manager a bit yeah Yeah, that that was considered that one Um, so my next one I'll be surprised if you guys don't have this on your list is it's a collective effort it's Stajanan FC of Iceland I I was going to spot him on I have seen it (laughs) I mean I, I don't even know which one to talk about, to be honest, because they're all bloody good. <laughs> My personal favourite's the, the fishing one, you know, yeah. where they're dragging. 
the, the guy on the floor pretending to be the fish is just absolutely genius. <laughs> he just flops his way back towards the wall. But, yeah. Um, the um, the toilet celebration one's quite funny as well. Yeah, yeah. I'll add them on to social, our social media, shall I? Yeah, it's probably best, but it's just like one player bends down, the other one lies on top pretending to be the toilet <laughs> lid, and then the player comes along, sits on the one, or lifts up the lid, sits on the one bending down, pretends to be the paper, then like pretends to flush. It's just that the, the originality behind them all. And they, they did, uh, I think they did a bobsleigh one, um, a, a Rambo one, which went around punching and kicking everyone, and um, a, bicy- a bicycle one. All right, my next one. I've gone for Bebeto, Brazilian striker who scored against uh, the Netherlands in the USA 94 World Cup. And it was following the birth of his third child that he ran away pretending to cradle a baby. And then he was swiftly joined by teammates Romario and Mazzino doing the same thing. And it's a celebration that's been copied by every player that's just had a baby, I think. It became really <laughs> iconic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, definitely. Yeah. But I remember well, the first my, time. Actually, one of my first memories of football, that, but I didn't include yeah. it on, on the <laughs> list. Yeah, you know, I, I, I know what you mean. It was, uh, there's so many kids doing that in the playground at school for weeks <laughs> after the World Cup. It was, it was a very memorable moment. But one thing I would say about that, though, is uh, if he cradles a baby that fast, it's amazing that all his kids actually survived. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, to be fair, yeah. I mean, even to think about having it on a football pitch as well. <laughs> Uh, my next one is we might as well get this one over and done with um, Craig Bellamy the golf oh, I didn't think anyone else would pick this one <laughs> <laughs> this is the only Liverpool yeah. one I've got oh, you know what I'm going to be a gentleman and I'm going to give it to you Ann, because oh. um, you've got three other Liverpool ones lined up uh, that's the only <laughs> other one I've got that's Liverpool so you're alright <laughs> Two out of five. So go on, you, you explain. Um, yeah, so apparently in the in the run up to the Barcelona game at, at the New Camp, Craig Bellamy uh, threatened teammate John Arnaiz with a golf club because he wouldn't go karaoke with him. <laughs> anyway, um, I don't know whether he ever did go karaoke, but um, they played the game. Obviously, Bellamy scores and uh, promptly runs up to the crowd and does a golf swing. Yeah. That's, that's pretty much it. But I just, you know, it, it's a celebration that's always stuck in my mind. Yeah. It, do you know who like, else scored that game? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and John who set up all... <laughs> Yeah, who and who set up Bellamy's goal, John Arisa. <laughs> yeah, it's quite an entertaining way of hearing the two versions of uh, what happened that night. Very contrasting. <laughs> um, but that's just standard Craig Bellamy for you in his... Footballing time, wasn't it? But yeah, that's why I basically had exactly the same thing. <laughs> yeah, that, that actually would have been the next one I spoke about. So let's go back to Dan. All right, my next one. I've gone for Jan Agafjordoft with his aeroplane celebration. Oh, yeah. Now, um, I did a bit of research into this one. And apparently he used to experiment with lots of different celebrations. Oh, yeah, He did a quite a few silly ones apparently over the years. But when he got his first goal for Swindon, the aeroplane was the one he chose. And it was the in a game the next week. He was coming off the pitch at half time. And an 80-year-old female Swindon fan screamed at him, Come on, show us the aeroplane again. Yeah. 
<laughs> that's brilliant right this is the celebration for me i'm gonna do this every time now <laughs> fair enough when you got those 80 year old shards and that you can't really decline that can you no it just sticks in your head at that point doesn't it <laughs> well, yeah exactly no fair enough right um my next one is another absolutely famous one mr paul gascoigne Euro 96, dentist chair, and the shenanigans in Hong Kong. It, it, again, it was considered massively, but I, um, yeah. I, left, I left it off. Yeah. I knew someone would talk about it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, did a little bit of digging on it. Um, they were on a tour in China, played two friendlies, and it clashed with Gaza's birthday. So they headed off to Hong Kong for a night out. Terry Venables asked the players to be sensible. Bad idea on Gaza's birthday. You know that's not going to happen. And then the second bad thing that he did was he got um, legendary heavy drinker Brian Robson, who was one of the coaches at the time, to be in charge. So they went to the bar next door, which was called uh, China Jump. We're now to be pretty wild. Um, next thing they saw when they went in they saw Gaza was in the dentist chair in a separate room drinking, being plied with alcohol um, Gaza said to everyone if I score against Scotland I'm going to do this celebration and then um, yeah so obviously due to um, there being an in-house photographer can't remember in clubs when there used to be photographers that were in house and they tried to sell you the pictures and everything. Um, they, they it took a while for the pictures to develop, obviously because back then it wasn't as quickly processed. So eight hours later, the tabloids then knew about it. By then, the lads were back in England, and obviously a massive deal was made of it. And then uh, came to the game against Scotland, where he did not really much until. That little bit of wizardry over Colin Henry's head and on the on the volley to score the second was it the second goal? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, that's how it happened. And obviously Teddy Sheringham was heavily involved with the actual original partying, and he squirted the water in his face if I remember rightly on the the celebration. So very apt, I thought. I seem to remember Redknapp and Manolan getting involved as well, which is probably why you've yes, used it, Chris. Liverpool well. bias again. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so my next one, again, we might as well get this one out of the way, even though we haven't got many left. Uh, Jimmy Bullard. Yes. Right. Doing his best Phil Brown impression. Obviously, when Hull were battered 4 0 by Man City the year before, which actually, no, I think it was at half time, actually. Phil Brown took them all out on the pitch and sat them down and spoke to them like school children. Um, and then obviously they've played Man City the following season and there was um, apparently something in the dressing room like, if we score an equaliser or a goal, then whoever scores it has to do the celebration. And obviously it had to be Bullard that scored it, didn't it? <laughs> so he sat them all down and, you know, wagging the finger at everyone. <laughs> yeah, it was, just, it was just a genius celebration and I think Phil Brown found the funny side of it. Yeah, that was yeah, a good fun. It was it's just yeah, it was just a good fun celebration. Yeah. Yeah, I like that. All right, my next one is a very, very famous celebration. I've gone for Alan Shearer. Oh, Scores yeah. a goal, lifts his right arm in the air, and reels away. And keeps on running. <laughs> That's it really. 
Same every yeah. time. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's iconic. No, I did, yeah. I did, I did uh, come across an article, actually, where they uh, commented on some nuances of his celebration, where apparently if uh, those occasions where even it like a game against a rival, he was a bit more vindictive and he lifted his finger in the air while he, he reeled away. And then there were some games where he'd score against like a weaker opponent and he'd have his head bowed slightly and be almost apologetic as he did it. Wow. That's fair enough. Um, my next one, or sorry, my final one, we're going over to Syria. And that's Francesco Totti. That is 2011 Rome Derby. This is where he scored his record 11th derby goal and it was a close-range volley. So, obviously, the crowd went mental. Number one point because it was the equaliser to level it up at two two all. Um, He then went into the fans and came back out and, obviously, he then got jumped up upon by all the reserves and everyone like that as well as the normal playing and the playing staff and everything. Then one of the coaches gave him a mobile phone, and then he took a selfie of him him, um, and the fans behind him. And it's just pretty iconic, really, because if you see it, it's actually a pretty good photo he's done as well. (laughs) He's used technology quite well for it, and it's a perfect opportunity for a selfie, isn't it, to be honest, and the Rome Derby as well. Why not? Yeah, Yeah, watch out. Um. So my, my last one, I've gone with um, another quite iconic one. I don't know if you remember it. it was Ian Wright and Neil Ruddock mimicking the Canio. Yeah, uh, yeah. So the week before Sheffield Wednesday's the Canio pushed referee Paul Orcock <laughs> to the ground. <laughs> anyway, um, a week later, Ian Wright scored for West Ham and he ran up to Neil Ruddock and pretended to show him a red card. Neil Ruddock promptly pushed him to the ground. <laughs> just just as a banter apparently Paul Alcock was the assistant ref that day and he found it hilarious found the funny side of it uh, the FA did not and I think they dragged Wright and Ruddock off to headquarters and they had to pay some money to charity or something anyway two weeks later guess who signs for West Ham Mr Dicanio yeah <laughs> uh, he didn't find it very funny either <laughs> calling the pair of them a crazy bunch <laughs> yeah it's just you know, it's just one that I, I, I just remembered I just no remembered yeah I forgot about that I remember yeah. no it was a good one yeah it was, a, it was really funny wasn't it <laughs> they showed the replays of that quite, for quite a few weeks after it happened <laughs> right my final one I've gone for Jurgen Klinsmann oh yeah so his famous yeah. Dive celebration. So um, what what happened is uh, he'd come to English football and uh, there's a lot of uh, negative press around him. And one of, one of the aspects of it was that he played really well against England in the 1990 World Cup, contributed to their downfall, but also he had a reputation for diving. And uh, famously in the final of that World Cup, he pretty much dived to get Argentina reduced to 10 men in the final. So he uh, responded to this criticism by ironically taking an exaggerated dive after he scored his goal. Uh, the suggestion apparently was made by Teddy Sheringham, who was the first player to join in with him before a number of Spurs teammates also dived in. Uh, but that's another one where um, it's been copied uh, by a lot of school kids, I remember at the time. Yeah. But also a few professionals as well. I also came across um, 
around the negative press when he signed for Spurs, the Guardian printed an article, Why I Hate Jurgen Klinsmann. There was, um, That's oh, not very Guardian like. It's almost bordering on racism, isn't it? The uh, contempt <laughs> for this, this German signing. But then um, they started to realise that after this celebration, he actually had a really good sense of humour. When he was interviewed, he was quite friendly and charming. And a couple of weeks later, the Guardian printed an article saying, why I love Jürgen Klinsmann. <laughs> oh, the fickle so, English press. Yeah, but it's, it's, it's credit to Klinsmann. He's a, he was a great player and a great entertainer as well. Yeah. Yeah, it's an iconic celebration. Got some good ones there. Has anyone got any wild cards that they wanted to put in? Um, I didn't write any down. The only one that I vaguely remembered, and I can't for life I remember what team it was. It was some team that I don't think exists anymore in non-league where somebody, someone scored a goal and there was no fans around. So he run, ran into the stadium, sat down, applauded himself. Yeah, <laughs> Somewhere in Manchester. I don't think the club exists anymore. But... Yeah. <laughs> I Man City before the takeover. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, you mentioned earlier, Chris, that um, there was a Barcelona celebration, which you didn't want to mention. Um, I came across one where after the after a 88th minute winner in the Copa del Rey final, a goal celebration from Bernd Schuster, where he gave the uh, the bras donner, accompanied by flipping the bird, <laughs> the Real Madrid fans. <laughs> That's brilliant. I like that. Good old Bernd Schuster, he comes into it again. There's, there's this week's mention of Bernd Schuster. we got a game in. Um, one that comes straight to my mind, really, is um, obviously because where we live is Adi Akinbay when he scored his first goal for Leicester. And he went a little bit mental, didn't he? He sort of went a bit Hulk-like. <laughs> it was almost like he won the... It's almost like blessing me won the winner in the World Cup. <laughs> I think it took about I don't know how many games it was. Was it about twenty odd games for him to get his first goal? Or it was it was a lot. It was a lot. Yeah. And then obviously you've got the whole Balotelli one as well. Maybe it's by one where he just kicked the shit out of the uh, advertising board. <laughs> yeah. Yes, a lot of people mentioned that, which I. <laughs> <laughs> I still don't know why. <laughs> why that advertising board? I think I think everyone's too it. afraid to ask. Terry <laughs> shirt him to the crowd as well, didn't he? While he did it, yeah, yeah, yeah. He had to get it back from the fan. <laughs> so that's a good one, and I enjoyed doing that. Did we have any um, anything on social media for that one? Yeah, sure. Yeah, bear with me a second. I'll give you what people said with the celebrations. So for the celebrations, Ash at the Cathedral Sport podcast gave out the Jimmy Bullard one. Um, Chris Kelly mentioned Tomori Kotetsubaya. Um, from the Stands uh, podcast said the nanny celebration where he did the somersault, the flips. Yeah. I remember a Newcastle fan telling me about Luar was asked not to do that. You know, Kenzian, whenever he scored, because he yeah. injured himself when he did it once. That's and I think the manager is. said to him not to do it again. <laughs> anyway, uh, the Upper Tier podcast gave me four. The first one being 
Luis Suarez against Everton. You know when he scored, was it the winner? And he ran over to David Moyes, who told oh, him, yeah. who said that he's a diver, and he dived right in front of him. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's, that's yeah. great. I like that. <laughs> um, Adebayo, obviously, his little celebration in front of the Arsenal fans. Ran the length of the pitch to do it as well. <laughs> yeah, it was. A, I've never seen him move so fast. <laughs> um, so then we've also got uh, Stevie Gerrard, you know, the kissing of the camera. I think that was against Man United, wasn't it? Yeah, 4-1. And then the final one for these guys was uh, Why Always Me, Balotelli, which yeah. obviously a symbol of what happened. Um, Whose Round Is It podcast did the Robbie Fowler one? Um, and then Alex from the Scoreless Thriller podcast did um, Marco Tardelli. Can you remember that celebration in the 82 World Cup where he just absolutely oh, yeah. went mad? Yeah, I remember that. Um, and then I've got a couple more. Got the guys from this, uh, the Stuart Now pod. Um, goal celebrations, again, Alex mentioned Ketspire. And then... Um, Newcastle fans. <laughs> Yeah, they're advertising all. <laughs> Newcastle fan with Newcastle. Um, Shearer's iconic hand in the air. And Newcastle also fan. another one, <laughs> which, another one of yours, uh, is Peter Beardsley getting his uh, knob out. I can't remember that, but there you go. I remember that one. No, yeah, I was dreaming so that one. Yeah. Right, then. I'll, have a, I'll have a chat with him later. Um <laughs> Then Sue from the Stuart Hour Pod, uh, the Crouch Robot, of course. Yeah, yeah, of course, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Roger Miller dance. Well, and uh, Marco Taldelli. Where he was in tears when he scored. So thanks a lot for all of that. Good stuff. time to uh, regale you with my good, the bad, the obscure this week. Oh, I'm looking forward to this one, Ant. Oh. You messaged me a few times about this one, so come on. It, it's not obscure. He, he's not obscure. It's just I, I actually think he's probably a little bit forgotten. So I, I'm, I'm going to start talking about him and see if you can guess who he is. Oh, okay. So he was constantly plagued with, plagued with injuries, and yet he managed to play across four decades. Uh, he started his career in Finland, playing for Rypass. Yeah, well done. Dan's on the board tonight. You got your work cut out in the quiz, Chris. I know. Hopefully, he's drinking a bit faster. <laughs> I think he actually played international football across four decades, which is a record. Really? Oh, I don't ruin it, Dan. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I go on. <laughs> yeah, so he played for uh, Rypass, HJK, Helsinki, and Maipa. From 
He then moved to Ajax at the age of 21, filling the void left by a certain Dennis Burkamp. Uh, he ended up scoring 91 goals in 153 appearances, winning the league out of four of seven seasons, as well as the Champions League in 95. Ajax boss Van der Gaal then moved to Barcelona, and it wasn't long before Lippmann followed. Um, but sadly, it didn't work out. He only scored three times for Barcelona, and he eventually lost his place to Rivaldo. Van Gaal said, you have to adapt to a new culture when you move. Not every player can do that. Anyway, in 2001, Gerard Houllier snapped him up for Liverpool. We've signed a player with a massive reputation, he said. The reputation was so big that Houllier had to reassure Robbie Fowler of his place in the team. Um, while he didn't, he didn't disgrace himself at Liverpool, he, I wouldn't say he set the world alight either, but he did play a part in the treble season. Anyway, he went back to... He left in 2 and went back to Ajax, and he scored 5-14 and 14 to help them to another title. And then in 0407, he played for Lati in Finland, Hansa Rostock and Malmo. Injuries continued to plague him. Uh, whilst at Malmo, he fell down the stairs whilst carrying a glass of milk. <laughs> then at 36, which I'd actually completely forgotten about all this, uh, he moved to Roy Hodgson's Fulham in January to help them survive relegation. Roy said, I don't think I need to explain how good this guy is. However, he's not match fit, but I have no doubt he'll play a big part over the coming months. While Premier League football wasn't on the cards at the time, uh, he did manage to play 79 minutes of Finland, only for a few weeks later to suffer heart palpitations in Fulham training. And he returned to Fulham for a rest. An ankle injury and a groin injury followed. Uh, and then in March, Hodgson's patience finally snapped when Lippmann went home again, wants to have insoles fitted in his boots and wants to play for the national team. Fulham, at the time, were about to take on Derby, uh, who were at rock bottom of the league, if you remember, in that god-awful season they had. Uh, and Hodgson concluded that Lippmann might be taking the mick a little bit. And he said in his press conference, he won't be taking part this week because I have 25 other players who are actually training. He hasn't played for Fulham yet, as he barely trains. Uh, yet he's played for twice for for Finland. Funny how his fitness periods coincide with the international break. A few weeks later, and Hodgson realised that maybe Lippmann was probably the unluckiest man in football when reserve goalkeeper Ricardo Batista booted the ball at the back of Lippmann's head from four yards and knocking him over and causing him to be out for a following week. <laughs> Hodgson, in his press conference that week, then offered up another story of when he first applied for the job at the uh, Finnish national team in 06. Um, and he said that Lippmann was standing next to the sporting director at Malmo. I don't know why Lippmann, why Hodgson was in the same room as Malmo and the sporting director, or whether he was, I don't know, but this is a story. And the sporting director opened a can of Coke and the top popped off into Lippmann's eye. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, he finally put on a Fulham shirt days before the penultimate game of the season when he played for the reserves. Uh, that that was it. Fulham, <laughs> Fulham survived. Lippmann slipped quite off into the night, returned to Finland, um, spent a further few years playing for a few teams. Uh, and, and as Dan said, his, his international career was just as remarkable. Uh, in 2010, at the age of 39, he scored a penalty for Finland in the 8-0 thrashing of San Marino becoming Finland's oldest ever goalscorer. 
And he ended up retiring with 32 goals in 137 caps, which are both finished records. And it's just a shame that he was just so injury prone because he would have been an amazing player. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, there we have it. There is Yari Lippmann. Yeah, yeah no, a good that's one. a good one. Good bit of research there. Yeah, he did a lot of research. That was good. Can't say I saw him play that often, actually. No, no, he's one of these well. players that I always knew of, but apart from at Liverpool, I didn't really know actually that much about him. So, yeah, fantasy football. Dan, do you want to uh, update us? Yeah. So, um, fantasy football, we have no change at the top, I'm afraid. So, it's still Adam Porter, Deportivo La Coruña, up in front with 606 points. Now got a 20-point lead at the top. And then between us three, Ant, you're still in front. You're in 20th place in the league, 493 points. I'm closely behind now. I'm in 22nd place in the league with 487 points. So six points between us. Close the gap. Well, I, I had to make an emergency transfer this week. So you're actually, I mean, you're even closer now. Oh. I, I, I sacrificed some points because I just didn't Oof. have a team. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I'm not going to win the league this year, so uh, long way to go. It's a marathon, not a sprint. Uh, and then, Chris, you're in 34th place in the league with 455 points, so you're 38 points behind. Oh, bit of work to do yet. Oh, you'll come good. You always do. <laughs> uh, the top scorer in game week nine was by Adam Gerling with the Whee! fantastically named team clopping all over the world. Big up my boy, Adam. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, he scored 90 points. Wow. I'll just give you a quick run through of his team. He had uh, Calvert-Lewin as captain. So that was a 26-point haul. Uh, Shea Adams up front, 7 points. Uh, Leno in goal, 10 points. Uh, Reese James and Ben Sherwell getting 8 points and 7 points. Uh, Diogo Jota and Son from Spurs. 10 points, so those are all his performers in game week 9. 90 points, that's pretty good, eh? Very good. He was very quick to text me about that score at the weekend. (laughs) (laughs) At least you two are heading into a nice mid-table battle. I just hope my uh, emergency transfer is going to pay off. (laughs) I'm quite looking forward to seeing who that's going to be. Yeah, I was always tempted to ask you, but I thought, no, I can't. No, I, I can't actually remember. To be honest. <laughs> it's like I went very Aston Villa heavy last week, thinking, no, yeah. they'll, they'll get a few goals against Brighton. and No, they didn't. <laughs> yeah, I've got them down as a counter-attacking team now. So I'm weary about all these so-called weaker opponents that they're playing. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, that's fantasy football. Nice. Draafest, Bosman, Arvalatze, Laudrup, Lidmane. Hij schiet ineens. En wat een goal van Jari Lidmane, zeg. En dit is de straf voor Twente. Dat angstig, bang en laf speelt. En dat wordt afgestraft door een sublieme goal van Jari Lidmane. De klasse van Ajax. En de aparte klasse van de Finn. 
liet maar hier tussen vijf spelers zomaar vrij die bal maar aannemen en dan hem over Bosker heen schiet. En de voorzitter applaudisseert te midden van de fans. Okay, so that will bring us on nicely to our shock managerial appointments. So, uh, Dan, do you want to start us off with this one? Yeah, okay. So, my number 10 entry. I'm going to read you a list of teams that he's managed and then see if you can guess it. Uh, So, this isn't every team he's managed, but this is a selection in chronological order. He managed the Dutch national team, the United Arab Emirates national team, South Korea national team, the Belgium national team, the Russian national team, and the Serbia national team. In March of 2015, he then took over as Sunderland manager. Oh, Dick Abbotar. Yep, Dick Abbotar. So I thought that was quite a coup for uh, Sunderland to get a manager with that experience and that CV. And he well, died completely forgot all about him, to be honest. Yeah. Good I remember the formation he used for Sunderland to stay up that year as well. It was a very interesting sort of five 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 zero or five four. <laughs> let Jermaine Defoe try and score. <laughs> yeah, he um, he kept them up, and um, in the postseason he he wanted to retire, but then due to popular demand, he actually was convinced to stay on. But then it started pouring the next season and he actually resigned in the end. But he didn't have the resources at Sunderland. Uh, didn't have a very good squad to work with either. But I just thought it was a major coup for them. It was a surprise to see someone with that CV take over at Sunderland who were in peril. So, yeah, he's made number 10. Yeah, yeah. yeah, no, good start, Dan. Good start. Um, Chris, who have you got for us? Yeah, sure. Okay, so mine is Bob Bradley. <laughs> Snap. Really? Yeah. He seems to be matching this week. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, uh, obviously his tenure at Swansea, <laughs> very short as it was. I'll, I'll go through a bit and then see if you've yeah, got additional yeah, information. Yeah. Uh, so I've got appointed October 2016. He replaced Gre- uh, Francisco Greedlin who was actually sacked on his 61st birthday. How how rude is that by the board? <laughs> he could have waited another day or something. But anyway, it was after a 2-1 loss against Liverpool. Had Swansea 17th in the Prem. His tenure actually only lasted sort of 85 days uh, at Swansea. Um, Bradley had quite uh, an okay sort of... Um, career beforehand. He was manager at USA, Egypt. He went to um, Norwegian side Steinbeck. Um, he was actually um, managing Le Havre, who were at the second tier French team at the time. Um, he actually beat um, Ryan Giggs, Paul Clement and Villarreal um, coach uh, Marcelo to the job. And it was quite, I found it quite surprising because it came a bit a bolt out of the blue. At that time, I personally thought that Swansea, they had, we've discussed this before with Michael Laudrop and how he got sacked very 
I thought, quite unfairly. And they were just going from manager to manager. I think they just thought they were a bit bigger than they were they actually were. I mean, he, he sort of followed, um, like I said, Francesca Griedelin, Alan Curtis and Gary Monk. And obviously Michael Lydrop, all in a very quite a close space of time. And I just think that by keep on moving managers like that, it wasn't going to do them good. Like I said, he didn't last very long. But actually on the his first ever press conference for him to be in, uh, introduced as manager, Francesco Griedlin actually appeared in the same venue, <laughs> which was the Swansea Marriott Hotel. It was a bit embarrassing at the time, but Griedlin said he was holding his own meeting at the, the same venue. So I just thought, just to add that in, just to make it how obviously absolute shambles it was at the time at Swansea. <laughs> it's a bit like the jealous ex turning up at a wedding, really, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, you've covered pretty much what I was going to say. Um, the only thing I was going to mention was that he didn't really endear himself to the uh, English game because he, he'd always describe a penalty as a PK and, oh yeah, yeah, I forgot to <laughs> uh, away games as road games. <laughs> I actually had that down as an honourable mention. Um and the only reason I, the only thing I've written down about it is that if you're in a relegation dogfight, that's not the man for the job. Someone with no, no, no. league experience, no English football experience. And that's why I remember at the time I was really shocked by that appointment. So it's a good shout. Yeah, so that was my number ten. So uh, Dan, we're back to you again. All right, number nine, I've gone for Christian Gross. He was uh, an, an honourable mention for me. Yeah, he was, my, he was my number eight, actually. So, fair enough. Um, I'll tell you what I've got. He was uh, appointed at Spurs in November 97 after Jerry Francis was sacked with the club in the relegation zone. Uh, came as a bit of a surprise. He didn't really have much of a notable CV in football, apart from a half-decent run at Grasshopper Zurich. So uh, it wasn't a, an appointment that anyone predicted. He was characterised in the press as a bit of an oddball and regularly ridiculed. And uh, many of the players disliked his methods at Spurs, in particular Les Ferdinand, who went on the record saying that he was forced to train while injured. And then when training, he aggravated the injury. <laughs> So going public with that is pretty damning on Christian Gross. Well, well Sir Les, to do something like that, it must be pretty serious. Well, I think uh, I think there were a lot of unhappy players at Spurs at the time, and yeah. mainly the ones that weren't being picked to play. From from what I've read, uh, he, he, when he was in charge, they went on to finish uh, their their worst finish since the ninety three ninety four season. The way the press told the story is that they only survived due to Klinsman's goals after he returned to the club. But um, I looked a bit deeper into this, and there's actually another side to the story, where uh, allegedly when Klinsman was brought into Spurs, Alan Sugar, who was the chairman at the time, he promised Klinsman that he'd start every game and that he'd have a say in the tactics as well. And Gross didn't know anything about this, and he he built the team around David Ginola. And for all intents and purposes, Ginla was the playmaker in the team. He was the star in the team, which uh, rubbed Klinsman up the wrong way a little bit. So you could argue that Gross actually brought more of an emphasis on teamwork in that team and got the best out of Ginla, who was a very good player. Uh, also, 
Jerry Francis was given thirty million pounds to spend, but Christian Gross, uh, at the end of his first season, he was allowed to sign one player, and that was Paolo Tremisani. Oh yeah, I remember him. Yeah, that yeah. one player. <laughs> so he, he didn't really get a fair crack of the rip, and it just underlines the point that Alan Sugar did not trust Christian Gross. Why did they? Why did he appoint him then? I know. Well, that's what everyone was asking from day one, anyway. Yeah. <laughs> why was he there? He had zero experience outside, basically outside his native Switzerland, and and it's a, it. If you look, I looked at like saw of the the managers they they had before before him, and they had like Ardiles, Steve Perryman, Terry Venables, all ex players, sort of. So they they were entangled into that sort of ethic of the Spurs ethic, you know, the way they play. And then suddenly they've tried something new and it just did not work at all, did it? I mean, the poor guy was a bit out of his depth, you know. Uh, he went to Basel afterwards, I've got here, and he had an interesting press conference as well where he was using his underground uh, ticket um, for the London Underground as his dream ticket to the dream job of Spurs, which <laughs> I... <laughs> which I think that you, I'll, I'll, I'll try and put it onto I'll try and put it onto um, our Twitter page it's one of the most uncomfortable few seconds that I think a man's ever said in, in front of um, in front of media and I don't think it probably uh, helped him with uh, Alan Sugar either <laughs> but, but yeah it's a very interesting character I hear <laughs> All right. So, Chris, who's your number eight? Uh, number nine, sorry. Yes, yeah, sh- sure. I've got that as Ronnie Delia. Um, he's Celtic boss in, in 2014. Won the title um, in Norway at, with Stunga Set. Uh, the season before, he replaced uh, Neil Lennon on his first changer at Celtic. He's a bit of a bit of one, sort of like Christian Gross, to be honest. <laughs> so, no one really heard of him outside his native Norway, I don't think as well with a, a team, you know, that is quite, has quite a large support, um, supporters clubs, um, like Celtic all around the world. And to have somebody who, number one, hasn't really played and number two, that hasn't managed at the biggest stage, I think probably didn't help. He was actually lined up at the beginning um, to be an assistant manager to Roy Keane. But that fell through due to, for whatever reason, Roy Keane not wanting the job. Um, so they actually offered him the full-time job, which obviously he took. And he, he started to get a rapport with the fans and it didn't help with results in Europe. Yeah, I think they got to, knocked out very early by Maribor in the Champions League qualifiers one season, which obviously wasn't really what, what they wanted to see. I mean, he did win the Scottish Premier League twi- twice and um, a league cup but you have to sort of weigh it up because when I was looking at the league tables Rangers weren't in the Premier League then either so it probably it would have been interesting if they were in the top league as well to see how it did so I found him quite a, a big surprise that they went down that route with someone totally unknown and then has then gone back into the abyss yeah yeah, no, I agree. 
Uh, all right, my number nine uh, is Joe Kinnear at Newcastle. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> so they Newcastle sacked Kevin Keegan in two thousand eight, and then they inexplicably appoint Joe Kinnear, who hasn't been in the game for like four years, after an ill-fated spell with Nottingham Forest. Um, he arrived at Tyneside, uh, and and the press reported that he'd given the whole day off to his entire squad. Uh, Kinnear didn't like this one bit, and he launched into a 10-minute rant in which he swore 52 times. <laughs> and I re-watched this rant the other day, and it, it's cringeworthy. As, as your first, one of your first press conferences as a manager, um, <laughs> one of the first things he says is, who's Simon Bird of the Daily Mirror? You're a C-word. Who's Niall Hickman of Express? You can F off. You say effing like that again, you can F off to another ground. Um, so yeah, he, he didn't endear himself whatsoever to the tune, who were probably already angry that he'd been appointed. Uh, he lasted longer than anyone expected him to, but he only actually won four out of his 18 games, and he was promptly let go. And then Hewton and Shearer followed, um, and obviously Newcastle got relegated. So yeah, that's pretty much all I had on that. Because there isn't much more to say. Terrible appointment, wasn't it? And no one Awful saw that appointment. Going. Yeah, I just felt really sorry for the Newcastle fans when that happened. It was a, yeah, it was, it was all about the owners, weren't it? They had an agenda. But it wasn't about football. The reason he was brought into the club, but yeah, it was it's just a sad affair, really, wasn't it? He shouldn't have been there. Yeah. Okay, so Dan. Yep. So my number eight, I've gone for. Well, I, I'll read you out a few clubs that this guy has played for. Ajax, Milan, Juventus, Barcelona, Inter Milan, Tottenham, seventy-four caps. Yeah, seventy-four uh, caps. Champions League, UEFA Cup, three Serie A titles, and then he might, becomes the manager of League Two Barnet in two thousand. I had him at number seven. Yeah, I thought he might make someone else's list, but um, <laughs> couldn't leave him off. It took over a. League to Barnet as player manager in 2012, and they were they were relegated in 2013. But he remained in charge as they played in in the conference, and um, did a bit of digging and discovered that um, as when he was managing there, he got sent off three times in his first eight games of the season, and he refused to go to any away games which involved an overnight stay, despite being the manager. Yeah, so his attitude was very questionable. Uh, it didn't last long, and eventually resigned in January two thousand fourteen. Yeah, apparently the um, the chairman got questioned on this, and he came out and he just said, "We have a very Dutch setup. We have three coaches, all Dutch, all that are involved in the team." That was the only answer he could provide on why David's wouldn't stay overnight. <laughs> um, but yeah, the only other thing I had to say was that the other sort of weird thing that David wanted was when he was player manager, he wanted to be number one. Yeah. <laughs> uh, he trend, he? Yeah, he wanted to set a trend. Uh, I, I don't think it's called cool, Tom. But the glasses weren't enough. <laughs> Christopher, what's your number yes. eight? Uh, mine was uh, Christian Gross. Oh, of course it was. Back to me then. I've gone with Michael Knighton at Carlisle. Yes, Ooh. I considered him. I've got my number six. 
fair enough. So yeah, uh, uh, apparently he he tried to buy Manchester United in 1989 for 20 million. Um, he then went on to purchase Division Three side Carlisle instead, with the goal of getting them back to the top flight. And it started well, um, in, but in 97-98, Knighton decided to put himself in charge of the team, despite having no managerial experience whatsoever. <laughs> um, he stayed in charge for an incredible amount of time, even after rele- even after relegation back to Division 3, remained in, in the dugout for the first four months of the following season. Um, and then he eventually handed over to uh, Nigel Pearson. In, in total, Michael Knighton won 19 out of 68 games in charge. I mean, let's be fair, for no managerial experience, that's not bad going, to be honest. That's like a third. Um, and then that season, Carlisle only survived in the Football League because of that famous last glass goal by the goalkeeper, Jimmy Glass. Yeah. yeah. One of the most iconic lower league goals that was, wasn't yeah. it? <laughs> yeah. Unbelievable. Yeah, I haven't got a lot more than that to add, to be honest. But um, I, one thing I did come across is that in 1996, uh, Knighton stated that he'd seen a UFO and he was mocked in the newspapers for that. <laughs> <laughs> That's the kind of thing Chris would come out with, not you, Dad. <laughs> <laughs> I, I forwarded it on to him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, what's your number seven? My number seven. Uh, after that bombshell, um, mine is um, George Graham when he moved yeah. to Spurs. Yeah, was another special mention of mine. Yeah, I I just felt he obviously he obviously replaced Gross at Spurs. Just <laughs> talking about um, after getting Would permission to. <laughs> Blimey. Who owned Spurs back then? <laughs> what are they thinking? Uh, <laughs> it's just madness, isn't it? I mean, he got permission, but he was manager at Leeds at the time, got permission to speak to Spurs to become Spurs manager. Actually won two cups with Spurs as well. But it's just the whole thing that he was at Arsenal for so long and obviously they won a few titles with them. To cross over to that side as well, and it's just—I it, was just surprised that he would do that because obviously he was so, you know, at the Arsenal he's such a major figurehead, wasn't he, of the way that they played, and his his le- legacy would have lived on, I think, a lot longer if he didn't go over to the other side. But um, yeah, I just found that, to be honest, a, a surprise. But a fact is that he got sacked from his first job. Um, for lying 12th in the league, which was exactly the same place that he got sat for the Arsenal job. So I thought that was quite a nice stat. Mm. But no, I didn't really have much more to say about that, really, barring that, to be fair. I just thought to, to cross over from two eagerly, you know, massive rivals yeah. was quite a big step. I know it wasn't straight away, but I just it just surprised me, to be honest. No, no, I totally agree. It's a good one. So my number seven, I'm going to read you some clubs again. Uh, Juventus, Milan, Chelsea, Paris Saint-Germain, Real Madrid, Bayern Munich, Napoli. 
three Champions League titles, Serie A title, La Liga title, Bundesliga title, League um, title, Premier League title. And then Tyler last Ancelotti. year, Angelotti became Everton manager. Yeah. Uh, uh. Yeah. If if uh, if you'd have told me that he was going to join Everton like three years ago, I'd never have believed you. <laughs> but when it happened, I thought that's that's a major coup. If anyone could um, sort out their problems, it's him. Uh, he's, he's obviously had the challenges of COVID hitting. I think it's hurt everybody in the transfer in the transfer market. But you've already seen a turnaround with Everton. They're so much better this year than they were last year. And um, to see a manager of that calibre in the Premier League, first and foremost, is real positive. But, um, yeah, I'm just surprised he went to Everton. They're not a top club. They're not contenders at the title, for the title at the top. But he's accepted the challenge, fair play to him. But, yeah, I was really surprised when he made the move. Yeah, I'm a bit like you. I thought he was. Um, I thought it was a massive coup for them, but... I suppose historically Everton are a big club and you know if they're willing to pay him his wages and he's willing to come and he thinks there's potential there then he, if he's man to get Everton back to the top. Yeah, yeah it's good isn't it? Good to see. That's to a bit more competition doesn't it? Yeah. Okay Chris let's have your number six. Cool. Oh, my number six is Claudio Ranieri joining Leicester. Yeah, I forgot about that. To be honest, <laughs> that's a good one. <laughs> yeah, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't have him either. No, I'll, I'll make this obviously pretty brief. To be honest, because we'd be seeing what he's done did it that season. I was quite surprised because of his previous job he had, and that was um, at Greece. Was pretty miserable. To be honest, he lost at home one 0 to Fair Isles. But to be fair, he had the argument that he, he tried it, but he just couldn't manage players for 14 days at a time. He preferred having them locked for longer periods. I think that's probably obviously the main difference between an international manager and a club manager. Um, before he was um, at Greece, he, he was at Monaco. He spent, spent uh, two seasons there. And I just thought it's just a bit of a shot out of the blue after having Nigel Pearson in to suddenly get... Ranieri, um, I remember being at work and it's just on a personal level and a big Leicester fan just came up to me and going, what, have you heard who's been appointed? Daddy Ranieri, he's just done shit at, at Greece. Why would we want that at our club? And he, he, sort of had, he sort of had a bit of a point, but if you looked at his credentials probably after, before that, it's very impressive. Um, but... For someone like Leicester in the position that they were to get him, I thought it was a real coup really for them and um, obviously worked wonders for <laughs> them winning the, se- the season that, that year. Well, yeah. it did. I remember at the time I was really surprised by that appointment because Leicester, were, they're just uh, fought and scrapped to stay in the division and Ranieri's not really managed a team at that end of the league before. And Leicester were preparing for another relegation battle. And my my good feeling was that he wasn't the man for the job because he's never done that before. But, but how wrong was I? Thankfully, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I was I was really shocked at the time. I think Gary Lineker tweeted something as well. <laughs> Probably he likes a tweet, Gary Lineker. Okay, uh, my number six. I've gone Brian Clough at Leeds. He was my number four. Ooh. Is yeah. he number one, Dan? 
No, no, it's not, it's not on my list. Oh, wow. Okay. okay. So, obviously, Don Revy departed Leeds um, as reigning league champions, and the board decided to uh, repay his 13 years of service by replacing him with the man who hated him the most, Brian <laughs> Clough. Mm. Um, Revy had recommended Leeds midfielder Johnny, Gal- Johnny Giles for the job, uh, but the board got cold feet and decided to go elsewhere. And they tried Bobby Robson. He didn't want to come. They tried Ian St. John. He didn't want to come. Um, and then Brian Clough entered the race. And he'd always been a very uh, vocal critic of Revy and Leeds for years and made it abundantly clear he hated both of them. And then uh, the local newspaper apparently ran a, a poll against uh, Leeds fans on Clough's suitability for the job, and 90% were against his appointment. <laughs> yeah, he still got the job. Okay. Uh, and apparently, uh, Clough barely spoke to anyone when he arrived at the club uh, until he agreed to a meeting in the players' lounge. There, Clough committed what's known as coaching suicide with a tirade. And uh, as this player who nearly got the job, Johnny, Johnny Giles, said, he never got off first base with the players. And it wasn't just that. He also spent an eye-watering £380,000 on new players in a, in a week, which back then was a lot of money, obviously. Um, and he, he still didn't seem particularly committed to the job because he was always late for training, spent most of his... Spent, even though he spent his entire stay at the Yorkshire Club in a hotel less than 10 miles down the road... And everyone knows what's happened, what, what happened in that season. I'm sure we've all seen the film with Michael Sheen. Yeah. But he was fired after 44 days. No one really knows why. Um, I think a lot of people say the board probably realised they made a huge mistake. And then they kind of wanted the players to take the blame for it. And and sort of the players, that's kind of when player power sort of came into... Um, you know, was 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 born really. Like, well, the players want you out, so you're out. Yeah, yeah I think so. And that, that's all I've got. I don't know if Chris can add. Um, in his derby days, he called Leeds the dirtiest, most cynical team in the league. I mean, he said to the players the famous thing that it's on the film, isn't it? Damned United, where he gets them all round. He goes. The first thing you can do for me is throw away your medals in the bin because you've never won anything fairly. You've done it by cheating. I mean, he got apparently, apparently that wasn't word for word, but it's as good as it's as close as uh, yeah along those lines. Yeah, completely. And then, and then it's like you said um, when you got sacked. No one really know knew what happened. Then that night. He was on a TV show called Calendar, yeah, where he has to dis- discuss his dismissal. And guess who's the other other person there on the panel? Revy. Indeed, yes. I know it's obviously been put on the film as well, but if you actually look at the original TV, um, the whole thing through, it's on YouTube. It's absolute TV gold. It's. <laughs> You can just see the sparring between the two of them is just unbelievable. And the tension, you know, that, that night he's literally just been sacked and those two are just going at it. It's brilliant, brilliant TV. Michael Sheen portrayed it absolutely bang on to how... No, he he does them... most things absolutely bang on to me, yeah. to be honest. 
Um, but yeah, I mean, six weeks in the job and he was gone. <laughs> but again, I just think it was ego, wasn't it, as well? He, he yeah. wanted to change them. He thought he could change them. They weren't going to change. Like I say, player power was with the way that he that, that played with under John Reavy, So Yeah. It wasn't like it was a bad manager or anything. But it's no. just the wrong, the wrong club for him, wasn't it? And also, I think he suffered with not having his, his assistant there as well, which they made a massive point on the film. Um, but no, that's a good pick there. Um, yeah, that's why it's my number four as well. Yeah, fair enough. Uh, Dan, your number six. Uh, that was Michael Knighton, Carlisle. Ah, cool. Okay, so uh, number five, uh, Chris. Number five for me was a Arsene Wenger. Do you have anyone's list? He was um, he was a special mention. I, I can understand why he put him in. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, to be honest, I don't even know why I've not put him higher, to be fair. But, yeah, he's had to be added on because he obviously came as pretty much an un, sort of an unknown um, at the time. He had success in Monaco during that time. He refused a job at Bayern Munich, which was in about 1994. Um, he was, like I say, totally unknown in the UK, but was friends with the vice chairman at the time, David Dean. And he was convinced to join Arsenal from Grand Passey, where he was managing at the time in the J League. Um, they also had a couple, they had a pick of three managers that they were looking at. Arsenal did so that was Wenger, Terry Venables, and Johan Cruyff. I mean that those three aren't a bad pick, are they? <laughs> at the time to choose from, and famously the Evening Standard when it was announced um, that he was manager, they sort of said, Arson who? Then obviously, during his reign, they won 16 trophies in, in total. Did the uh, unbeaten season as well, invincible season. So I think they've picked a very good good manager. It, it was very surprising at the time, no doubt. This guy like Ant said before when we talk, spoke about Arsene Wenger in our manager's episode that looks like a professor or a geography <laughs> teacher comes in and starts saying to, to footballers you can't have Mars bars nutrition is the way to go and he's just totally changed the way football is hasn't he really I think the thing with, with Wenger as well is because he came from Japan as well where the level probably of play isn't as high as it is in Europe as well and everyone just wrote him off straight away. Yeah, there's a bit of that. I thought people probably read too much into that, but he had been successful at Monaco and Benfica, yeah. I think. Yeah. yeah. He had a good CV, actually. He, he had a good one, didn't he? But I think people were looking too much into what he was doing at that time. And then, obviously, with him, like I say, changing the whole diets and of players and even the players themselves at the time thought, is he the right guy? I remember reading something in my research with Tony Adams saying he'd never really heard of him and he didn't think he was probably quite right for the job. Well, how wrong can he be? <laughs> yeah, I, think I, I kind of left him off because, well, I, like I said, he was a special mention, but um, I suppose at the time when he came in, it was in 96 or whatever, Arsenal were mid-table, were mid-table yeah. team. They weren't, we weren't the team we know of now, thanks to Wenger. No. So, 
So I suppose appointing a, a relatively unknown Frenchman who done wonders in Japan and in France probably wasn't yeah. that much of a shock then. But I, I can, like I said, I did consider him. So he was, I can see where you're coming from. Uh, okay, my number five is the ill-fated tenure of John Barnes and Jason McAteer at Tranmere. <laughs> oh, I thought you were going to say John Barnes at Celtic for me. No, no, I thought I'd do Tranmere for the Celtic. <laughs> so they they were appointed in 2009 following the sacking of Ronnie Moore, who himself had come uh, within a whisk of promotion. And I, I read this article that the reason why they were appointed was Tranmere have always kind of seen themselves as um, sort of the third best team in Liverpool. And jokes aside, they are the third best team in Liverpool. There's no getting, getting around that. Um, and I think their idea was that because they play on Fridays quite a lot, uh, because of the other teams in Liverpool play on Saturdays, they thought they had appoint some former legends of a big scouse club in the hope that some stray fans might Got go you. and watch go and watch Tranmere play. Uh, why they picked those two, I've, I've no idea. <laughs> John Barnes didn't do much at Celtic. McAteer had never really done anything. Um, and so they were dubbed, they were immediately dubbed the Digger and Trigger Show, or Dumb and Dumber, by the fans. And they got off to a terrible start, winning three of their first 14 games, uh, constantly chain, changing formation. I think uh, a 4 2 2 Two was a common one, uh, which I've never heard of. Uh, that low down, and they were finally put out of their misery in October when they were sacked. And uh, I believe their favourite tactic was defend and attack. There's only one way to beat them: get round the back. And I shall get my coat. <laughs> <laughs> I had to put that in there somewhere. <laughs> That's pretty much all I got. <laughs> you don't need to say anything. That's just recovering from it. <laughs> <laughs> I can see the cogs going in Chris's head then. Like, I know this lyric. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, right, so my number five, I've gone for Steve Keen. He was considered. He was, he was on my list yeah. for a while and I, I took him yeah. off. I looked at him. Okay. So this guy was the first team coach at Blackburn under Sam Allardyce. And then Vinkers took over as the owners of Blackburn. Now, they, they, they promised Sam Allardyce that he'd have £5 million to spend in the January transfer window. And then later they met with him while he objected to these plans for players to be brought in and imposed on him, the way that he tells the story. So shortly after that, Benkis sacked Allardyce. Now, Steve Keane uh, took charge of the team as caretaker boss. And uh, in January, so only a month after uh, Allardyce was released, he was offered a three-year deal. Now, this move was seen as controversial because Keane's agent was a guy called Jerome Anderson, who had also played a key part in Benkis taking over at Blackburn. There's a big conspiracy theory that uh, basically... It was all, he had orchestrated everything, and he was taking a cut. And Steve Keane, not based on football acumen, but he'd got the job. And someone at Venkis was listening to this agent, uh, who was basically pulling the strings. So 
Blackburn fans were absolutely outraged at this appointment. They'd had all these promises from Venkis of ambition and had been spending millions of pounds on new players, doing a challenge right at the top of the league, and then new manager, Steve Keane. It's a bit underwhelming, to say the least. Uh, the guy had no track record as a manager in football. And despite being at the bottom of the league the, the next season, in November 2011, Keane was offered a contract extension by Venkis. <laughs> and the fans were absolutely livid. It led to lots of protests outside the stadium. Uh, chickens being thrown onto the pitch. <laughs> uh, the, the season continued and Blackburn were relegated under Keane. And uh, eventually he resigned in September, uh, a month into the next season. Just a really bizarre sequence of events. And I, I just remember feeling so sorry for the Blackburn fans. They had owners who had no clue what they were doing. Yeah, I, I remember them. I, I, I was um, I knew a Blackburn fan. I remember Venkis taking over. And, oh, you know, we're going to get Ronaldinho and Raul to come yeah. play for us. And, you know, and they sacked Allardyce. I was like, oh, you know, who are they going to get? You know, someone decent. Uh, we're going to appoint Steve Keane. And everyone's like, who? Yeah. And yeah, the coach. how he stayed in the job so long. It was so fishy, wasn't it? Yeah. I mean, really... I'll give Keane his credit. He did beat Manchester United at Old Trafford. You can't take that away from him. No. Not many teams no. did that. <laughs> okay, uh, number four, Chris. Uh, mine was uh, Mr. Clough. Oh, of course it was. Okay, so mine is uh, I think you've heard of this guy, Harry Redknapp at Southampton. Ooh, snap, <laughs> snap. Oh, snap. So, uh, a few weeks after uh, resigning as Portsmouth boss, Redknapp uh, is unveiled at his struggling neighbours. He has since come out and said that he does regret it. But at the time, he worked down there and he said, well, why shouldn't I work down here? Um, and, he, and he claimed he didn't realise the rivalry between them. <laughs> Which you think being Portsmouth's wow. boss for quite a while, you'd, you'd know the rivalry. But there you and go. before that, which isn't Yeah. <laughs> and he, he also said, I've never been relegated from the Premier League. I don't intend to start now. But the first thing he had to do was, unfortunately, to sell uh, star striker James Beattie to Everton. Then the fans questioned his signings, uh, relegation regular Nigel Kwasi, and uh, his injury hit son, Jamie. It went to the wire, but Southampton went down. Um, and then after failing to mount a promotion the following season, uh, he left and he went back to Portsmouth. Uh, is it is it the greatest master plan in football or is he just <laughs> he doesn't really give a give a crap I don't I know I just think he fell into the jobs <laughs> the way how he does it when he returned to Portsmouth he was quoted as saying that he's returning to his spiritual home <laughs> that didn't go out that no, didn't go no. down well <laughs> I'm sure, oh to be gosh. honest with you, I'm sure they were glad to see the back of him anyway. At Portsmouth in that second run, he won the FA Cup with them. Uh, but then the year after, the following season, he left for Tottenham. And when he left, despite winning that FA Cup, he had a mixed reaction from fans. They they weren't sad to see the back of him. It just goes to show how, how much he was unaware of that rivalry. and You, you just can't move between those two clubs. No, I suppose in some way you could look at it and say, well, he relegated their rivals, but at the same time he still managed their rivals. So. <laughs> I, don't, 
Sorry that way. <laughs> All right then. Uh, so number three, Chris. Number my number three. Okay. Dave Hockaday leads. <laughs> He's my number one. He's my number two. Oh, brilliant! You got three, two, one. Full <laughs> house. I don't really know where to start with this. <laughs> <laughs> it's just a massive. I mean, if if you're a supporter, I can understand, you know, Leeds fans now with their whole rejoicing over Bielsa and getting into the Premier League when they've had this show of absolute tosh going on for so long. I mean, I mean, not being bad to this guy. I mean, he, he was a non-league manager, wasn't he, with Forest Green. He, I think he spent four seasons there and they were very mid-table to almost relegation. Yeah, so and, they were almost relegated in the first two seasons. In the yeah. third season, he finished 10th, despite having the biggest budget in the division, the biggest wage bill in the division. In the fourth season, um, they let him go in October. Yeah. So that says it all, really, that, that you know, he's <laughs> not going to be championships level at, at all. And obviously, Brian McDermott eventually left. I think there's a bit of a, a story in that in itself in 2000. 14 uh, and names that were listed to replace Brian McDermott were Eamon Dolan who was the academy manager at Reading and um, Gary McAllister was also linked with the post as well but basically Massimo Cellino who seems like an absolute <laughs> madman <laughs> it was appointments to say the least went with Hockaday, after a five-hour conversation about football. Well, I could have a five-hour conversation about football. <laughs> it doesn't mean that I'm being a manager. Me. And trust me, with my Maradona thing I said earlier on, I've got no chance. <laughs> I mean, the poor guy lasted 70 days. I'm surprised he lasted that long. But, yeah, I, again, just looked at how much of a mess... I felt sorry for really with Leeds at the time. They had four managers in that year alone. I mean, it's just, it just seems like one bad, bad appointment after another. And he, you know, there's Neil Redfern, I think, as well. And it just seemed like he, if he didn't get results straight away, he didn't have a chance. But when you're appointing people that are leagues <laughs> lower than, than they actually oh, then it's just madness. I mean, can can you guys add anything else onto that? <laughs> I, mean, I mean, yeah, I, I, I'd put it at number one because, um, like you were just saying, um, this is Leeds. You know, this is this is the big club. Mm. This is a club that, until recently, had won the top flight more recently than Liverpool had. Yeah. Um, and to appoint someone from conference football to take charge of Leeds and championship is just ridiculous and uh, there was this whole thing that uh, Cellino had phoned, apparently there was I think the second to last game that Hockaday was in charge for uh, Cellino phoned the bench and said I don't want Stephen Warnock playing and Hockaday said well why so I don't, I don't I don't like him I don't want him playing and Hockaday played him and then at half time Cellino phoned the bench take him off and Hockaday said no I won't take him off he's actually been our best player even though we're like Four 0 down or something, and then there was this whole rumor came out and that Chilean was going to sack Hockaday, like 
there and then. But he actually survived another week, um, and then they, they lost to Bradford, and he sacked him. But um, Hockaday's reign, like Chris said, lasted seventy days. Six games, four defeats. Uh, his replacement lasted thirty-two days. Yeah, but but Hockaday actually managed Leeds longer than Brian Clough. <laughs> so you've got to give him some credit. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, I know it sounds mad, but you feel like he's the injured party of it all, really. I mean, if I was offered up that position, you would take it. And well, of course you would. Of course you heartbeat. would. But... Yeah, I got thinking about this. I mean, did Hockaday actually have the goal to apply for that job? He could have just been chatting to him just randomly yeah, at the yeah, hotel yeah. and just... And then just after a few drinks, got got offered the job. <laughs> it does, it does seem it. odd that Cellino would then go, oh, hang on, this Forest Green Rovers bloke who, let's face it, most English fans have never heard of Forest Green Rovers, would say, oh, oh let's, let's have him. You know, he hasn't done much. Let's have him anyway. <laughs> He's cheap. Well, yeah, I was going to mention this, actually. Um, Brian McDermott, his predecessor, was apparently earning £750,000 a year. Hockaday was on £90,000 a year. Yeah, I'm in the wrong job. <laughs> <laughs> but then there's all the issues. I think didn't Brian McDermott want to sort of uh, buy out his own contract and all sorts of problems beforehand? I think money was a big factor in this appointment. Yeah, it's just pure madness, though. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Good one. Good one, Chris. I like that one. Mine number three, this is the positive one. This is my only positive one, I think, is Ramon Diaz at Oxford. Yeah, he's my number two. My number uh, one. Oh, I knew you guys would pick him. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, obviously, he's a guided river plate to five league titles, the Copa Libertadores, the Supercopa Sudamericana between 95 and 03. And you just think, could he have landed a bigger job than Oxford? Yeah, he probably could have done. Um, but apparently he was so fascinated by the English game that he, he answered a call from the from the Kassam Stadium in 04 uh, when Oxford were flirting with relegation in League 2. And he said, I like English football and I wanted to get first-hand experience of it. I've seen plenty of it on television. It's also very interesting to work at this level. Um, and he apparently worked for free. And he guided Oxford uh, away from the drop zone after 10 wins and 7 draws in 25 games. And then he, he, he left at the end of the campaign. And yeah, he, he saved Oxford. Yeah. It was just such a shock appointment at the time. Yeah. Big time. Yeah. <laughs> As a player, he played 22 times for Argentina, got 10 goals. He also played for River Plate, Napoli, Fiorentina, Inter Milan and Monaco. And that was before he became manager, like you said, at River Plate and had all that success. Uh, apparently, the agreement he had to work for free was on the basis that if he got them promoted, he would receive a 10% share in ownership of the club. Yeah. It's quite no, interesting. I didn't, I didn't know that. Yeah. But yeah, him yeah. and his backroom staff, they didn't receive a wage. Uh, apparently that circumvented the need for a work permit. <laughs> nice backhander. Yeah. But yeah, it's just madness that he went to League <laughs> 2 after winning the Copa Libertadores. Yeah. It's mental. 
And I can I can say as well, just to add on to that, on the press conference, everyone thought that Oxford were going to appoint Chris Turner as manager. So just think you're sort of at the press conference midday to announce a new manager, and suddenly um, Ruben Diaz is 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 then announced, and everyone's like, "What?" <laughs> And then, and then, um, Faroz Kazim, as, um, Ant said, was the chairman. And he said, Shall we wait for Chris Turner to arrive? <laughs> I don't know whether that was a, <laughs> that was a little bit of a tongue in cheek remark, but yeah. So, so like, Ant, um, so like Dan said, that I've got here, you agreed to, to work for nothing for six months. In exchange for ten percent stake, always felt like a bit like a dragon's den moment, didn't it? <laughs> <You know? laughs> so, uh, but yeah, he just want. He said he just he about English football. He want he liked English football and wanted first hand experience of it, and that's the only reason he wanted to come to this league. And he guided them to fifteenth that season, and managed them for twenty five games. But what can you can you want without? But then he disappeared into the sunset afterwards. And he signed lots of uh, players from South American countries as well. Argentina, Colombia, (laughs) Uruguay. Do they play for free as well? Not quite. (laughs) All right, so that was my number three. Uh, Dan, your number three? Yeah, are we in danger of having the same top three here, all three of us? I'm thinking, I, I've got a funny feeling, I know who you're, you are. <laughs> yeah, I've, I've got that feeling as well. Number three, I've gone for Claude and Elka. <laughs> yes, number, number two. <laughs> 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 uh, the, the top three that we've got are like by far the most randomest yeah. three, isn't it? I mean, at least we're all on the same wavelength. I, I think so, yeah. These, these three are mental, aren't they? Well, I, I actually had Michael Knighton in my top three to start with, and then I bumped him down a bit. So I could have been a little bit different. But I do agree. We, I, think we're, I think we're on the same page this time. Yeah, so I've not written a whole lot about this one. I've just um, summarised it. <laughs> There's not much to say. <laughs> so, Corden Elka, for those who don't know, he is the brother and at one time acting agent for Nicholas and Elka. That's his only experience in football. But he joined Wraith Rovers, Scottish lower league team, with the promise to draw international stars to Wraith. And he would do so by investing £300,000 of his own money into the club. Uh, but he only succeeded in bringing French seven-a-side footballers to Wraith, <laughs> whose skills didn't really transfer over to the 11-a-side game. And he managed uh, one draw and seven defeats from his eight games in charge before he resigned. Uh, he actually became the director of football at Rafe after that resignation, but then he, he resigned from that position as well, I'm afraid. So it's just an all round disaster of an appointment, really. He had no business being there. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, he signed 14 players, I've got here. Majority of them came from native France. None of them played 11 aside. They joined from one of the seven aside teams in Paris. So you basically got, you know, the the, the Monday night team that we play. <laughs> <laughs> got his mates in. I just got his mates. <laughs> I mean, it, it's 
you couldn't write it, could you? Seriously. No. But you you wouldn't expect anything else from an Alka, though, would you? <laughs> to be honest. Apparently, um, going back to what Dan said, apparently he he just basically put up like a load of money and said, like, to any club, who wants me? Yeah. Who wants my money? And it was Rafe that came forward and said, yeah, yeah, we'll have it, yeah. Um, <laughs> not sure they realised he was going to bring his entire Monday night crew with him and then he wanted to make Rafe the third force in Scottish yeah. football <laughs> that's what he sold it as um, and, far, and the last thing I can really say about this is um, the club's chairman at the time the, the guy's name is brilliant Turnbull Hutton <laughs> He, he declared this fiasco the biggest mess and has set the club back for many years. <laughs> I like that. So to, so to me, I don't think they got the 200,000 either. <laughs> but no, I just found the whole thing, like uh, and said, just quite amusing. Like you've got somebody there that goes, right, then I've got 200K, who wants it? And everyone else has gone, Phew, this guy sounds a bit dodgy. <laughs> Claude and Elka, no, all right, thanks. Gone all in. <laughs> <laughs> we'll take it, thanks, mate. All right, so that was... Uh... Oh, I've lost track of where we are now. Are, are we basically all done our list now? I think basically. we have, yeah. yeah. <laughs> We've just done it in different orders slightly, our top three. What was your number one, Dan? Diaz? Diaz was the number one. Right, okay. Yeah, that's fine. Okay, just checking we've covered everyone. Okay, yeah, there we are. <laughs> well, what a great list! Yeah, yeah, <laughs> pretty good. One day we'll all have a different number one, as in, <laughs> never, never mentioned previously. Exactly. Do you want to? Um, do you want me to go on to the socials just to see what people? Yeah. Want for that? Honorable mentions first. Um, oh yeah, sorry mate. Yeah, yeah, whack it on. Yeah, the only two I had uh, were Wenger and Graham, and. Well, whilst we were talking, I suddenly thought of Felix McGrath at Fulham. Mm. I had him um, as well. Yeah, that was it. That's all I it really came to mind for me. I've got one. That was uh, Les Reed at Charlton. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. Cool. yeah. So yeah, as part of the England coaching setup under Kevin Keegan, and then he became the FA technical director in two thousand two, and it was Ian Dow's assistant manager at Charlton, and then. That, that went pretty disastrously, to say the least. When Dowie was sacked in November 2006, they decided to appoint Les Reed, his assistant, into the manager's role. Now, yeah. For me, I just don't understand why you've got a regime that doesn't work and you're promoting someone from within. Surely, if you're <laughs> at the bottom of the Premier League, you need something to change and you look externally. Happens but, time uh, and time again, unfortunately. <laughs> they didn't. You know, I mean, it was. Uh, it lasted forty-one days in the job, only winning one game. Got knocked out of a quarter-final of the League Cup by League Two Wickham, and he was often ridiculed in the press with given the nickname Les Miserable. <laughs> Wasn't he sacked on Boxing Day or just before Christmas? Yeah, bo- Boxing Day. That he got defeated just after Christmas. Yeah. Yeah. I remember wow. that. But that was just—it was just a joke. It was always doomed to fail. I just That's a good one. So from our socials, then uh, Chris Kelly said Brian Laws at Burnley was one. Yeah. And Pepe Mao at West Brom. Yeah, 
Um, I've actually completely forgotten about him. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then he said, uh, Kevin Keegan very briefly retaking the managerial reins at Newcastle. Not so much. <laughs> Not so much. Uh, we've then got the upper tier podcast, Hodson to Liverpool. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's an interesting uh, one because they I'm, did well with fund, didn't they? I wouldn't have said that was a shock. I think Liverpool didn't have any money and they needed a safe pair of hands. And, but the safe know, Hod- Hod- conservative. Well, <laughs> Hodgson yeah. might have done all right, but yeah, it, it didn't work out. Yeah. Uh, I, was actually, said... I was actually all for Hodgson at Liverpool at the time. Yeah. Unfortunately. <laughs> that quiet. Then uh, they also went with one of Dan's picks, Ancelotti, to Everton. Uh, from one of my from one of my colleagues, uh, Tristan. He's got Redknapp from Portsmouth to Southampton, like he said, and Edgar Davids at Barnet. And then again from the Stuart pod. So Alex said Joe Kinnear, which was mentioned. <laughs> um, Rafa Benitez as well. Do they only and- give Newcastle and Chelsea ones? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. And as a Newcastle fan, you got to remember. And a Chelsea fan. And a Chelsea fan. <laughs> and uh, Alan Pardew, his seven-year contract, which... Can sort yeah, of that's, that was pretty shocking. Uh, Stu said, who's a Chelsea fan, he went Evans and Huye as co-managers at Liverpool. That was yes, a surprise. That's actually quite a good one. Ranieri at Leicester. And Danny Cowley to Huddersfield as he left uh, Lincoln, and he's quite shocked with that. Oh. I suppose Huddersfield's a step up, though. Yeah, smallish step up, though. But yeah, it's a slow progression, isn't it? Going back to the uh, Evan Tullier one, uh, I watched um, a Liverpool documentary about it was on BBC Two after Liverpool won the league. And they interviewed like a load of managers along the way in the last thirty years, and uh, Evans was one of them. And they said, "Oh, how did you feel when Julio came in?" He's like, "Well, I've got nothing against the bloke, but I don't particularly like him." <laughs> Fair enough, but this is honest. <laughs> well, Get yeah. that of a yeah. Pure honesty. Right, yeah. So we've got quite a good diverse uh, amount there, didn't we? Really? Yeah, no, it's good. I mean, to be honest, as well. I saw recently that we've had quite a lot of downloads um, for our podcast from uh, Turkey as well, from Istanbul region. So anyone from from that from that area, please contact us. For you any, know what that is? It's because we mentioned Sunis about the last five podcasts. Oh yeah, on the could flag. be. <laughs> could be if they want us to do any lists at all, then please contact us at uh, var at the bar. 2020 at gmail.com or VA at the bar on Twitter or VA at the bar one at Facebook. Yeah, so we've got, we've had quite a lot of downloads from, like I say, from Turkey, South Africa as well, and Switzerland. Like I say, anyone that, that wants to, that's listening from there, please just give us a shout out for a, say a hi or just give us any lists. That's for anyone, really. So you've got all our details. So Top please. 10 premiership flops that have played in Turkey. There we are. Yeah. There's a future list. 
Yeah, or <laughs> top ten English players in Switzerland. If they request yeah, it, digging, but I'm sure we'll find someone, <laughs> something. Yeah, so that's really all I've got there for the socials. We've been quite active with with that with your with your list there, and did oh. a couple of good lists there. There's some good ones there. Yeah, keep them coming. New Leeds head coach David Hockaday says he's joined the club to work hard and be a success on the pitch. Hockaday's appointment's been criticised by certain sections of the Leeds fans. I've come here to coach. I've come here to improve. Um, that's what I do and that's what I will do. I've been given a great opportunity and I'll take it with both hands. Dave, that record at Forest Green has been much alluded to by many supporters and those in the media. Does that have any relevance, what happened to, there, to this? I, I played for 20 years. Um, over 650 games. I've coached at every level. I've coached in every league from the Premiership, the Championship, the First and Second Division to the Conference. That's what I am. That's what I'm about. That has a relevance to what I can now bring to the table here. People simplify things though and say if it doesn't go well at Forest Green in the conference, how can it possibly go well at championship level? Um, and then I will say, well, I got promotion as a player five times. I got promoted from the championship with Watford. You can draw whatever you want. I am the sum of everything that I've done. I've learned something from all of my experiences and that's what I'll bring. You know, this is a massive club, and that comes with huge expectation. You know, can you can you deal with that? Yeah. Okay, so I think we're on to Warnock Watch. Right then, so where we would have left it, I think with with Ant would have been at, I think it was Brentford, where they got a very good good draw, nil nil. Away, which was a which was a great result. Then faced um, Norwich. I think, it, from what I know, it was a very tight game, and it was a, a pukey penalty. Unfortunately, um, that cost them their first defeat since the first game of the season. I think um, they've come back though uh, midweek this week against Derby. Which I think did somebody tell me that Steve McLaren's taken. Charge of again? I don't know if it's official yet, but I think he is um, technical director. Wow. And I know that Rooney wants to get his hand in management. So Rooney's apparently telling everyone he's in charge at the moment. Uh, okay. <laughs> well, well, he probably doesn't heard. want to say. He probably doesn't want to say that as they lost three 0 to Middlesbrough. <laughs> um, Brett, Brett Asabonola scored one, Who? and then an own Golden Mob. <laughs> I can't say his name again. Asamalonga. <laughs> Asamalonga, that's it. The ex-Peterborough uh, striker. And uh, Martin Johnson scored the third. So that puts them, from what I can see, just out of relegation in eighth. Um, they've only conceded six goals this season after 13 games. But it seems like they're in a bit of an issue scoring. Um, they've only got 12 goals at the moment. So they're plus six, but again, I think he, I think Warnock's had a few problems with fitness for their, for their main strikers. Right. Anything to add there? 
fair, Dan? No, that's a solid start. Uh, very steady, like you say, but that's not a bad thing, is it? Yeah. Not at all. Hard to beat. That's good. So, um, yeah, I've got a couple of quotes from the, um, the build-up to the Norwich game. Uh, apparently, Warnock was very close to becoming Norwich manager at one point. Uh, he said that he had to fill out um, pages and pages uh, of this interview form, and then eventually he made the, the last two. He was invited into an interview, and there were 10 people all sat around a table. Delia was one of them. So he sat down, and the first question they asked him, he said, Neil, do you think the Norwich fans will enjoy your style of football? And he looked around the table, looked at everyone in the eye, and he said, yeah, I think they will like it. I think they'll like winning. And he knew at that point he wasn't going to get the job. <laughs> Eventually, they gave it to Bruce Rioch. Oh, dear. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> wow. <laughs> that obviously ended up so so successful for them. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and the second quote I got was um, following the international break, and specifically it was about Paddy McNair. So what Warnock had to say was, Paddy has played three of the toughest games you could wish for the Euro 2020 playoff final, and then two bloody friendlies in the Nations League. He's played every minute, excluding the end of extra time against Slovakia. So I don't understand when you've got nothing to play for, why play him? He's played in midfield as well and done all that running. And then he was asked by someone in the media, will he be fit to play for Borough at the weekend? And he went, yeah, it won't be a problem playing for Borough. I play at the back, so he barely raises a gallop. He just stood at the back with a cigar in his mouth. Oh, typical Warnock. <laughs> I have got an old what, something here from um, Paul Pesky Salido about his time. How can you say that and you can't say some longer? I know. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Don't know. Don't know. Even I can't say that. <laughs> <laughs> um, about his time at Sheffield United. So he said. He convinced us all to put a, put a £10 in a pot, winner takes all, um, for a, a game of bowling. So they all agreed to it. Yeah, a bit of fun. Then he pulled out his own bowling shoes, <laughs> custom ball, shot 250 and took all the money. That is absolute sharking at his best, isn't it? Absolutely, I don't want to pass that. <laughs> Wouldn't expect anything else other, other than that from uh, Mr. Warren, not would you? <laughs> no, that's a good one. So, so what's this I hear then about Pardew with a new role then at CSKA Sophia? Is yeah. this a managerial role or is it just uh, at the moment director of football? Yeah, it's director of football at the minute, from what I gather. So the um, the Pardew gates have not yet fully opened. But we've so seen a slight edge. Give it time. Give it time. Yeah, Give well, time. we've seen technical directors brought in, the manager gets the boot, and then the technical director takes over as manager. They lost oh. to uh, young boys, didn't they, the other day? Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's only a yeah. matter of time. It won't be long before Pardew's in charge. <laughs> I'm just keeping an eye out on that one. <laughs> well, I reckon there'll be a January transfer window or the equivalent, and then he just signs a load of English players in Bulgaria. <laughs> I can see that happening as well. You reckon he's actually out there in Bulgaria, or he does everything via Zoom at the moment? 
I think he does everything via Zoom. <laughs> Probably. To a to a Bulgarian interpreter. Yeah. <laughs> He's in his pad in Essex or wherever he lives and, <laughs> and zooming into Sophia. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, hopefully it won't be long before we have Pardue Gate up and running again. Oh, got two gates running on at the same time. Going to be busy. Going to be busy, <laughs> lads. Okay, so this is going to bring us nicely on to the quiz. Oh, okay. Um, what's the scores? Is it seven to Dan, five to me, and two to Chris? Three to Chris? I think, I think that sounds about right to me, doesn't it, you? Yeah, sounds about right. Okay, all right. Come on, Chris. I need you tonight. <laughs> uh, okay, so first question. Which player holds the record for the most consecutive Premier League appearances? Brad Friedel? Yeah, well done, Dan. Oh, well done there, Dan. That's ominous. <laughs> <laughs> hey, don't give up, Chris. Don't give up. <laughs> Which club... Did Glenn Hoddle join after being sacked as England manager in 1999? Southampton. Oh, I think Chris just about pipped you there, Dan. It was close. Yeah, I needed there, Dan. It was, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, who was the first ever winner of the Premier League's Golden Boot? Alan Smith. No. Ian Wright? Nope. Gary Lineker. Nope. Leslie Ferdinand. Nope. Oh, you're, you're, you're around the right area, Chris, but you're just not getting the right name. <laughs> Sheringham? Yeah, well done, Dan. Ah. <laughs> you listed every other striker in North London apart from Sheringham. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so this is a new round I've devised. So this is called a quick fire round. Oh, gosh, okay. So the idea is I'm going to list a load of players and you need to shout yes or no as to whether they've won the Champions League or European Cup. Okay. Daniel Sturridge? No. No. You're both wrong. <laughs> <laughs> you won it with Liverpool two years ago or last year. Oh. Okay. Diego Maradona? No. Yes. Well done, well done, Dan. Michael Ballack. Yes. No. 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 <laughs> no. <laughs> I, I don't know. The answer's no, but I don't know who to give it to. Because Chris said yes to start with. Yeah, okay, give it to Dan because I said yes to start okay. with. Okay. Right. <laughs> uh, Balotelli. No. Huh? Went with Inter. Oh. George Ware. Yes. No. Bob Boulder. No. Oh, Chris. <laughs> he has won it. He won it with Liverpool. He's on the bench. Oh. George Best. Yes. Yes. Oh, Dan just about got there. Cristiano Ronaldo. Yes. Yes. Oh, Dan again. Pavel Nedved. Yes. Yes, yeah. No, you're both wrong. 
Oh, okay. Uh, Ibrahimovic. Yes. No. <laughs> no, he hasn't won it. Wow. Benny McCarthy. No. He's won oh, Porto. It. Yeah, Benny Porto, wasn't it? <laughs> God's sake. Scott Carson. Yes. No. Yeah. Well done, oh, Dan. Dennis Burkamp. No. No. Oh, I don't know who that was. Said that first. I think, I think it was Dan. Ronaldo R nine. Yep. Yeah. No. Oh really? Wow. Even with a rare. And Cannavaro. Yes. Oh, it was a no. Need some tweaking that round. No, that's all right. Who scored the winning goal for Portsmouth in the 2008 FA Cup final? Is it Prince oh. Bowie? No. Chris, uh, you, you got a guess? Papa Diop. No. Ben Johnny? No. Sol Campbell? No. Um, Johnny Tucker? No. I'll put you out of misery. Carno. Oh, only one crow, Carno. Okay. Uh, which well-known player applied <laughs> for Dundee FC's manager job in 2000 had his application rejected? Claudio Canigia? Nope. Played for that. <laughs> well, that's what I was thinking. Um... Do you know He's very well known. Paul Gascoigne. He's, he's been mentioned tonight. No, it's not Paul Gascoigne. Oh my gosh. Claude Anelka. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> um, oh gosh. Klinsman? No. Which round, and can you lower it down a little bit? Uh, you know, I can't remember now. I'm being gen- brutally honest with you, I can't remember. Robbie Fowler? No. Alan Shearer? No. Craig Bellamy? No. He's very oh, well known. Very well known. It's become a running joke. Bernd Schuster? <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh. Really? Did he apply? He applied and he got rejected. Well, apply He would reject Burns Hughes stuff. Jesus Christ. Honestly, I'm genuinely running out of facts about Burns Houston now. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so gamble question. Okay. Um, I'm going to come to Dan first on this one. How many of Andy Cole's 12 clubs can you name? I'll go with six. Okay. Chris? Seven. Okay. Try eight. Oh. Come on, Chris. You need the points. Dig deep. Go on, go nine. 
Yeah, I have to ask you to name him, Chris. Come on, okay. Chris. Blackburn? Yes. Fulham? Yes. Forest? Yes. Bristol City? Yes. Newcastle? Yes. Man United? Yes. There we go. Yeah. Uh, so I put them, didn't I? Yeah. You need three more. You got some of the harder um, ones, to be fair. I know. That sums me up, that does. Um, Sunderland? Yes. Um, Burnley? Yes. Wow. One more. <laughs> Bloody hell, mate. Um, oh, God. You see, there, there is one obvious one. I'm going to have to go with it. Arsenal. Yeah, you've done it. Well done. Was it Man City that you didn't say? Oh, Man City. Man City, uh, Portsmouth and Birmingham were the ones that weren't mentioned. Well done, Chris. Yeah, can't argue with that. Okay, so the next gamble one, very topical. How many of the 10 clubs... Can you name that Tony Pulis has managed? I'll come to Chris first. Uh, we'll go four to start off with. Okay. I'm going to go five. I'll oh, risk it with six. No, go on, Chris. Come on, mate, you're on fire. Sheffield Wednesday. Yes. Stoke. Yes. Palace. Yes. West Brom. Yes. Two more. Charlton. No. No. Okay. Dan, can name one for the point? I'm just going to have to take a complete guess. Uh, Port Vale. No. Chris, I'll give you one last go. Plymouth. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, He also managed Bournemouth, Gillingham, Bristol, Portsmouth, Middlesbrough. Final gamble question. And I don't expect you to get all of these because I've never heard of them. How many of Roy Hodgson's 21 clubs can you name? Oh, my God. What's it, clubs? How many 21 jobs can you name? Because obviously it's international. Oh, yeah. Bugger. <laughs> I'd struggle with five, to be honest. Who are you going to, mate? Uh, oh, it's Dan's turn. I'll go with five. <laughs> I'll go six. Okay. Go seven. Dan, that's the floor is yours, mate. All right. Uh, Liverpool. Yes. Crystal Palace. Yes. Fulham. Yes. Uh, West Brom. Yes. Finland. Yes. Switzerland. 
Yes. Inter Milan? Yes, well done. Um, it's England. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Should have pushed you a bit harder on that one, I think. <laughs> so he has managed Halmstad, Bristol City, Oddwold, uh, Oribro, Malmo, Nochetel, Zamax, Switzerland, Inter Milan, Blackburn, Grasshoppers, Copenhagen, Udinese, uh, United Arab Emirates, Viking, Finland, Fulham, Liverpool, West Brom, England, Palace. Wow. Mm. It's been around a little bit. <laughs> well, he is pretty okay. <laughs> Question 10. Who is nicknamed the Cobblers? Northampton. Oh, Dan just about picture again. Uh, who is nicknamed the Irons? Scumfall. Uh, yeah, well done, Chris. Who has won the most French League One or League One Uber Eats, as it's now known? Paris Saint-Germain? No. Marseille? No. Lille? No. Stad Reims? No. Toulouse? No. <laughs> Monaco? No. I'll give you one guess each. Montpellier. No. Chris? Um, I'll go Ren. No. Is it Nantes? No, it's St Etienne. St Etienne. Wow. I would have been there all day, didn't I? That's a great question. Yeah. I've got on French football history. Apologise for any French viewers. We're listening this time. I looked at all the different leagues and it was all just like the obvious ones. I got to France. I was like, oh, okay. That's a bigger <laughs> question. Um, okay, so this player has played for New York Red Bulls, Villarreal, Zerez, Hull, Bursaspor, AZ Alkmaar, Sunderland, and Toronto. Jose Altidoro. Yes, stands on fire tonight. Yeah. Uh, okay, so this player has played for Lom, Tottenham, QPR, Fulham, AC Milan, Benfica, Adult and Genoa. Right. I guess you're right, yeah. Oh, Dan, Dan just got there again. Yeah. Ah, well done, mate. And final one is this player has played for Chelsea, Swansea, Parma, Roma, Liverpool. Barini. Well done. Yeah, well done. Um, the scores are something ridiculous because of that quick fire mm. round. But it's, I think it's 13 6. Oh. <laughs> I think even, even take out that round, I think Dan still still win. Yeah, I think you'd have won that one. I'll, I'll, I'll work on the uh, quick fire round. It was it was good in my head. Well done, boys. Oh, thanks, thank Dan. you very much. Good fun. Right then, I've got something to tell you for the next show. Anyway, of our top tens. All right, so I haven't even told you guys until we've got mm. to this, and that is. 
going to be getting our old plates off for interviewing the walking football England coach. He does the over 60s and his name is Stuart Langworthy. And we'll um, obviously give you a bit more details about that on our socials. Looking forward to it. Yeah. Something different. That's all we've got time for this week. Until next time, goodbye from me. Goodbye from me. We'll catch you later. Network. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right, ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, over limited by law, 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.